0: calls, uh, it is with great honor and, and, and pleasure for me and for a lot of you to have back with us speaking today um, Pastor Bruce McInnes, and a lot of you, he does not need an introduction to you. A lot of you, your your marriages started with Bruce McInnes. I know mine did, and uh, premarital counseling and all those kind of things. But um, for you you guys that do not know, Bruce uh, faithfully served as the head and Pastor at Turner's Chapel for almost three decades, and the first Sunday this past August, uh, he uh, preached his last sermon there as their pastor and as went into retirement and looking to do all kind of other things in retirement. But um, a lot of y'all were able to attend that service, and I was glad to to be there myself. But we wanted to honor Bruce and and Jennifer today um, as Connect Church. Uh, I know a lot of you know them personally, and if you don't, you've you've definitely heard their names mentioned before. Um, I know. When you think about the, the foundation of Connect Church, we, we've existed for seven years, but the vision goes back 10, 12 years ago, and that vision was not my vision. That vision was uh, something that the Lord gave to Bruce. And honestly, a lot of those times I thought he was nuts uh, for having a vision for to plant any kind of church. Um, things, uh, if you go back 10 years to, you know, or even 12 years um, for some of y'all that were there, and if you weren't, things at Turner's Chapel were going great. Uh, the church was growing. We just built a new sanctuary, and uh, it couldn't be better. And uh, God was blessing the, the ministry uh, of not only Bruce, but so many people serving. And and Bruce, uh, God laid on Bruce's heart to come up with a vision to not build his kingdom there at Turner's Chapel and get a bigger building and, and more services and all those things that come with bigger churches but it was a vision for the Lord's kingdom. He said, you know what, we need to, we need to plant a church. And I'm like, that's a terrible idea. And um, so and, and that what now, here we are, seven years later, celebrated seven years of existence um, this past August. And um, just just his vision for that. And then what he has done for me in, in my life, I can't ever put into words. He took a a, a 20-year-old kid that knew nothing and began to invest in him over 12 years, meeting at least once a week, sometimes twice on bad weeks, right, Bruce? <laughs> and uh, we would pray together and, and study the word together. And, and just he taught me the heart of a, of a shepherd, what that looks like. And um, it's, it's very interesting to look back on those, those 12 years as youth ministry and associate ministry there. And I'm just so thankful for that, because I wouldn't be who I am without his sacrifice and his investment. And so we've asked Bruce to come and and preach today, and and we want to honor him, though, before he preaches. Um, There's not many people that preach the Word of God better than Bruce. Um, And you know why he preaches it so good? It's because he sticks to the Word. And one thing that I think about when I think about things that define Bruce McInnes' ministry is, is faithfulness and its integrity, and its integrity to the Word of God. And if you hear our leaders and you hear me talking about our strong stance on standing on the word, it comes from the foundation that he laid in our lives. And, and we hope to always stick to the word, that it's not, it's not every one man's opinion, it's not every one man's way of teaching, because if we go down that road, we're all going to be lost. But it is the word of God that we stand on, and that's what we hope to always stand on. And so, um, while Bruce was, was three decades at, uh, or almost three decades at Turner's Chapel, He's had such a rich investment here without actually physically being here because of all the groundwork he laid and, and the preparation and the vision he had to see this. And it's funny, in the year 2019, we'd be sitting here, and he's coming back to, to speak. So I'm excited about pre- him preaching, but also I wanted to, and I'm not going to make uh, Bruce um, open all this stuff, but just wanted to uh, present, and Bruce, you can come on up. Um, uh, I wanted to present on behalf of, uh, of Connect Church um, a gift and I'm going to give this to Jennifer because she's not going to come up. But, yes, I will. Um, but come that. on up, Bruce. Okay. Um, but uh, we've got a gift here. And what it is is a, it's a frame of our very first uh, uh, membership of the first founding members of Connect Church. Wow. And a lot of them have signed it. We've also got a couple of envelopes and a couple of Connect Church souvenirs for you to take home. So <laughs> so I'll give all right. this all to her for safekeeping. I don't trust you enough. Thank so. You <laughs> No, but uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. I
1: appreciate, uh, I think, uh, I can't remember when it was, but um, I said something to uh, Patrick Neal shortly before the uh, last Sunday uh, that, um, hey, do you make sure there's an announcement over at Connect Church that they can come late? You know, that would be fine. Uh, We just want them there. And uh, he said, well, we've already taken care of that. They're actually going to dismiss their service a little early so they can come. And I tell you, that meant a lot to me. I appreciate that so much. Paul, in um, writing to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, was sharing a number of things with him. And, and he kind of uh, gives a little uh, statement here that I, I want to uh, begin with. He says in First uh, Timothy 6, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Now, now usually when you see a number of words there, you don't tend to camp on any of them. But uh, when I was reading this, I noticed something stood out to me. He was saying, uh, Timothy, I want you to pursue faith. I want you to go after it. You actively uh, go to learn more, to grow more, to have more uh, of this precious thing we call faith. And then he says, and I want you to fight the good fight of faith. In other words, uh, don't lose it. Hold on to it. Wrestle for it. Uh, When you make progress in faith, don't shrink back. Hold on to what you have. You know, a lot of people think that faith is, is something that arrives at conversion and just grows on its own. You know, the, the moment that you're saved, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you, and, and you have faith. And then that just kind of grows on its own. But it doesn't. It doesn't. It has to be pursued. It has to be fought for. Uh, you've got to take the initiative if you're going to grow in faith. Because faith just isn't natural. You, you know what's natural? natural. What's natural is doubt, right? <laughs> it's not natural to believe. It's natural to doubt. And faith is the antithesis of that, and it doesn't come easily. It's not something that you're just born with. Now, there are some that God gives an extra measure of faith to. They they have faith. George Mueller ran an orphanage in Bristol, England, and he wrote his biography, and he said, uh, I know that God has just given me faith unlike many others. Uh, there are very few people that have the kind of faith that he had. But for the most part, it's just not natural. Doubt is natural. We're prone to doubt not to believe. And, and, and if you think about it, Jesus numerous times chastised gently his disciples for what? Ye of little faith. Why did you doubt? Now, <laughs> disciples had the Son of God right there next to him. They saw his miracles with their own eyes. They heard his words that were unlike any uh, of the uh, their teachers, the rabbis, and they saw these things, and they were right there. And I used to think, you know, if I was right there with them, I'd never doubt. But what did they do? They doubted. They oftentimes would struggle with faith. It's not natural. It's, it's something that we have to grow in. If you would be a man or a woman of God, then what Paul is saying to Timothy is, you need to pursue faith. You need to fight for that faith. Hold on to it. Don't let it go. You've got an enemy that wants to weaken you in faith. That's what Satan loves to do. He can't get you once you're saved, but he can try to weaken your faith. And why does he do that? Because as we'll see in a little bit, there's nothing that pleases God more than faith. Nothing. So you'd expect Satan to hate it. And he does not want to see it in us. And so this morning what I'd like to do is to take a look at Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be there the whole time. And I'd like to point out three things from this chapter. One is we'd like to need to, to, to look right at what is faith? What, what, how do you define it? What is this thing that we call? You know, we, we oftentimes talk about uh, religion as a faith or, uh, or something like that. we 're talking about the, the the verb here, the actual action of having faith. What is that? Secondly, why is it so important? Why is it so very, very important? And then lastly, I want to take a look at a few people that demonstrated that because there's nothing like an example to help us understand something. so let 's take a look at what is faith. and you look at chapter eleven. Hebrews chapter 11 has been called the hall of faith. Uh, There's so many that are in there uh, that are mentioned because they had faith and total confidence and trust in God. Now, he defines it in the very first verse. You'll never find a better definition anywhere in all the scriptures than this. In verse 1, he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen two words, assurance and conviction. Faith is the the assurance of things hoped for. In other words, if you have faith, you're resting assured that something God has promised that hasn't happened will definitely happen. Hasn't happened. It's not happening tomorrow, the next day, the next day. But you have assurance in your heart that it will happen because God promised it and he keeps his promises. That's Assurance of things hoped for. But he also mentions the conviction of things not seen. In other words, you can't see God. You can't see the angels. You can't see the demons. There's a a spiritual realm that's invisible to you, but you have a conviction in your heart and soul that it is real, that it exists. Your senses can't tell you that. Your faith tells you that. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, a lot of times, one of the the best ways to understand something is to look at what it is not. And there's two things that faith is not that I think oftentimes confuse us. And the first thing, the faith is not is it's not blind. But how many people have talked about blind faith? Oh, you're taking that on blind faith. You can't see it. You don't know this is going to happen. You just believe in it. Faith is not blind. There are many things that I can't see with my eyes that are very real. Matter of fact, faith is actually seeing better than our senses. Our senses can fool us, right? Our eyes can fool us. Our ears can fool us. Our taste, our touch, our smell... Those senses are sensory. We we can be fooled, but faith, true faith, will never, ever fool you. It actually sees better than our senses. You know, for the doubter, seeing is believing, right? Ah, when I see it, I'll believe it. (laughs) There's the doubter, you know? But for the man of faith, the woman of faith, a godly person that trusts in the Lord, believing is seeing. Once we believe, then we can see. I don't know how you came to, to, to Christ, but I, I remember uh, I was attending a church. I was 17 years old, and I didn't believe any of it. I wasn't raised in church. It all sounded like myth, legend, fairy tale. It was fantasy, miracles, uh, invisible beings, all of that. And, and yet I would go, and I would listen to it. And I just didn't believe it. Maybe I'd start accepting a little bit here and there, but for the most part, I didn't believe it. And then finally, my, my sin overwhelmed me, and I cried out to God, and I said, Lord, I don't understand most of it, but I just want you to save me and forgive me. And he did. And that very moment, that very next morning, it was like my eyes were opened. You remember that? All of a sudden, all those things that you didn't understand and couldn't believe, they made total sense. I remember looking up at the sky, and I swear it was bluer that morning than the other morning I had been. And, and I remember looking. I believe Jesus did really live, die, rise again. God, who I can't see, is real. And all of those things in the Bible make sense now, and they made no sense before, all because the Spirit of God entered my life, and I was now able to see and have faith in God. Believing is seeing. Faith isn't blind. It actually sees. It hears that still small voice. It believes that all the Lord has said will come true. It's not blind. And another thing that faith is not, is it's not foolish. but Oh, the world says it is. You crazy Christians, you believe in those invisible things and, and all that ancient myth stuff. That's just nuts. We know science now explains everything. You don't need religion. Faith rests not on those things. You know what faith rests on? Facts and truth. It rests on things that are true. Now, let me, let me illustrate. Uh, Matthew. Matthew, come up here for a minute. Let me see if I can show you what I'm talking about, okay? Matthew, just stand right over here, if you would. All right? Hey, just hold on for a minute. I'm going to go get the chair. Man, it's heavy. There it is. Okay, Matthew, I want you to sit in that chair. That chair right there. Yes, there is. <laughs> you need to believe. If you believe, then you could sit in that chair. Now just trust me now. Just just need to believe. You believe yet? Okay, let's let's help him out. I believe. I believe so it's all sell together. I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe. You believe yet? Yes. You believe. All right, go ahead. Sit down. You just didn't believe. You're telling me there's no chair there. You know, that might be the problem. There's no chair there. I guess maybe you had more faith than I thought. Thank you. Isn't that how the world sees it? You believe in some invisible thing, and because you believe it so much, you've convinced yourself that it's true. But faith is not foolishness. You know what foolishness is? Foolishness is the one who says, there is no God. A fool is set in his heart, there's no God. That's fiction. There's no chair there. That's why he fell. But if God Almighty had said to Matthew Vols, listen, Matthew, I know you can't see it, but there's a chair there, and he sat down, what would happen? He would be supported. Because if God says it, it's true. He cannot lie. So there's nothing that you read and hear that you can't depend upon, trust and rely upon and put all of your heart, soul and strength and mind into it. It is true. And when you trust it and believe it, you're not foolish, you're far wiser than anybody else. Faith rests on fact, on promises from a God who cannot lie. You know, a lot of people think, well, Uh, You Christians, you believe things that just aren't true. You know what? If I believe that I can fly, and I go down and take the lie detector test and prove 100% that I am totally and absolutely convinced in my mind that I can fly, and I jump off that 12-story building, what's going to happen? I'm going to fall. It doesn't matter how much I believe it because it's in a lie. Faith and fiction is foolishness. But faith in the truth, that's not blind. That's not foolish. You know, I've heard this said many a time. Matter of fact, um, before we left, uh, Jennifer and I and our family left for Spain (coughs) missionary work. We were talking with some people and they were saying, why are you going over there? They've got their religion. Leave them alone and I've heard this before, it's not what you believe that matters, it's how sincerely you believe it. So as long as the Hindus sincerely believe that there's two million gods, they're fine, leave them alone. They have their faith. As long as the Muslims believe that Allah is God, that's fine. You know what? There are an awful lot of people who have committed suicide, taking out the infidels, believing that there are 79 virgins waiting for them in paradise if they would commit jihad. And the moment, the moment that they die, they're in darkness, awaiting a judgment before an almighty God. And they'll spend eternity in a fiery hell. It didn't matter that they believed that there was glory in paradise awaiting for them. That's a lie. Great faith. I mean, who has more faith than somebody who's willing to die for what he believes? And yet that faith did him nothing. Absolutely nothing. Conversely, you can have like I did at 17, a little bit of faith that Jesus really could save me and forgive me. And I put that little bit of faith in him and he did. I didn't have great faith. I had a little faith. But I had a little faith in a big and true God. Who you put your faith in, what you put your faith in is more important than how much you have. It's how big your God is, not how big your faith is. Matter of fact, some people say, well, I, I, just, I just don't have much faith. Oh, listen, you've got plenty of faith. You know what? You put faith in your doctor. You go and tell him your aches and pains, and he says, okay, I think this is what you uh, need to do, take. And he'll write a prescription. You go down to the pharmacy, and they fulfill that subscription. And then you take those pills uh, with the idea and hope that you're going to get better. Now, you don't know what's in the pills. You don't even know quite what you, he told you that you had. Uh, none of that you understood, but you put your faith in the doctor. Then you put your faith in the pharmacy. that They didn't put sugar pills in, but they put the real thing. And then you had faith in the car that you got into to drive home that it was going to get you there and stay on the road where your steering wheel turned. You have plenty of faith. You have faith uh, in the pilot. That plane is huge, and it's awfully heavy but it gets up in the air and it's going to get you to your destination and bring you down safely. Why? Because there's a pilot that you're putting your faith in to pilot that plane. You have faith in your grocer that that meat that's there that you're paying a little bit more for saying this 80 or 90% lean instead of the 70% stuff, you believe that it is. Otherwise, you wouldn't pay more for it. But when you look at the package, it looks like the other stuff. You have faith in the weatherman. Maybe you don't. (laughs) But you have faith in men. You have faith in universal laws that gravity is going to be there for you, that centrifugal force is going to work, uh, all of these things. You have faith in them. You have faith. The point is, is that you need to put that same faith in a God who is there and real and true. And the more you do, the stronger your faith will be. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, things that God has promised that haven't happened, I'm believing them happen. I'm living my life in such a way as I know that they will occur. It's the conviction of things not seen. I can't see it, but God has said it's real, and I trust him, and I will live accordingly. That's what faith is. We've seen what it is. Why is it so important? Verse 2. I love this verse. For by it, the men of old gained approval. I think in the ESV, it says, for by it, the people of old gained their commendation or or, or, uh, received their commendation. The men of old gained approval. And then look at verse 6. He says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Faith is what pleases God most. So it's impossible to please the Lord if you don't have faith. He loves faith. He wants you to believe in him. He wants you to believe that he is there. He wants you to believe that serving him has reward, because he will reward you if you obey him, if you keep his commandments, if you walk in his ways. Listen, I know that to be true. The Bible tells me, but also I've been doing that. Something about retirement, you sort of reflect a little bit on on your life, you know? I think it's natural as you get older, uh, but especially uh, when you step down after 28 years uh, at one church and, and you start thinking about all of those years, coming back here and seeing so many of you, uh, that I, I remember the first Sunday you showed up, and, and I remember where so many of you were at that time and how uh, God has worked in your life. And, and um, you just tend to reflect on those things. And one of the things, I, I I love Psalm 119. I absolutely love that psalm. And so the other day I, I was... Um, I just decided to turn to it. It was not where my reading schedule was. But I turned to it. And I read the first two verses. In Psalm 119. It says. How blessed. Are those whose way is blameless. Who walk in the law. Of the Lord. How blessed. Are those who observe. His testimonies. And who seek after him. With all their heart. And I just remember looking up from my Bible and saying, Lord, I am so blessed. Matter of fact, I'm more than blessed. I'm how blessed. And the reason I'm how blessed is because after you saved me, you got me into this precious book, and for some reason, I decided that you were worth living for. And I put all my faith and all my trust in you. And it's for the most part never wavered from it, and I am so blessed. I am so. Because God promises that. He says, I will bless you if you will trust me. If you will put your faith in me, if you will live according to my laws and my rules and my ways, if you will seek after me with your heart, not just your head, I will bless you. He loves faith, and he loves to reward faith. It says that right there. It's impossible to please him without it, and he will reward those who seek him, who trust him. Who follow him. He always does. You see, faith allows God to work. When you put your faith in God, you're not putting it in yourself. You're not getting in his way. Got a granddaughter who just turned two. We were able to spend some time with them. And and, uh, my youngest, Thomas, and uh, his wife, they've got two little girls. Um, I'm getting used to raising girls. Um, Not raising, but I mean being around them. Um, I was surprised when the first one was born because there had been four generations of McInneses, all boys. All boys. And uh, my uh, youngest wife, his wife, said, we're going to have the first girl. I said, you can't. You're a McInnes. It just doesn't happen. Just give it up. And uh, they did. They had one, and then they had two. And now we're going to have our eighth grandchild, and that's a girl. So now there's four grandsons and four granddaughters, and I've been talking to them and say, hey, we can't let this continue. You need to get another one of you get pregnant so we can have another child, because I know it's going to be a boy, and they'll, because that's the MacInnes legacy, but anyway, <clears throat> she just turned two. Now, she's, at one and a half, her name is Sophie, at one and a half, you could pretty much do anything for her. You could feed her, and she was happy for you to help. You could help her up and down the steps. You, you could uh, help her get dressed, and she loved that. She put her faith and trust in me as her grandparent uh, uh, to, to help her do that. Then she turned two. And, and she won't let me help her up the stairs. She won't let me help. I don't to get dressed. I can do it. You know, y'all have had two-year-olds, or you have them. And, and they lose their faith in their parents, and they put it in themselves. And so what happens is it's really hard to help them because they won't let you. And there's a lot of Christians who are like two-year-olds. They have a Father in heaven who wants to do great things for them, and they won't let him. No, I want to do it my way. I want to show you I can do it. See, the reason that God blesses faith is it allows him to work. You're trusting a God who you cannot see. You're believing that he will work in ways that you don't understand. Faith believes against all odds. That that, that moment where you have to decide whether I'm going to put my faith in God or not is that moment when you probably exhausted all your own avenues. And you say, well, I don't know because I can't see any other way. But you see, if you're trusting in God, faith always sees God. And he will provide the way. And sometimes you have to believe him, and it looks like your obedience will cost you a lot. And sometimes it does. I was uh, thinking about David and Jason Benham. Maybe you know the Benham brothers. They're twins. Uh, They were um, in a business flipping houses, and uh, they were helping a lot of the uh, local people there that were struggling and so forth. So they were doing a lot of benevolence as well. And HGTV came to them. And said, hey, we, we like what you're doing. We'd like to make a show out of it. Uh, and these two brothers, they're twin brothers, and they, uh, they do sibling rivaling like nobody else does. I mean, they are hilarious to be around. And uh, <clears throat> so this show is going to be a hit, no doubt about it. It's called Flipping It Forward. And they had done three episodes, and they were ready to premiere. And the LGBT lobby got a hold of HGTV. You see, because Jason and David Benham are Christians. And they don't hide their faith. Now, they weren't going to try to make the show about their faith. But they don't hide it. And they had spoken at conferences before. And they believed that natural marriage, biblical marriage is right. And anything else is wrong. And the gay Gestapo, I guess is what you could call them, got a hold of HGTV. And they said, we don't want them on there. And they started their lobbying. And eventually, um, they put tremendous pressure on the Benham Brothers. And so, the executives came to them and said, hey, if you guys would just be totally quiet and shut up about uh, your belief about biblical marriage and whatever, then you can have your show. And they said, we can't do that. And so they canceled it. They canceled it. And those next few months were pretty tough for the, the brothers. But you know what? God started to bless Open doors of opportunity they never had before. Started to give them a platform in which they could share the good news of Jesus Christ. They could also encourage others to take a stand and stand on the word of God. And the Lord's used them in mighty ways. He has rewarded them. That's faith. It sometimes is costly, but the rewards are great. And there's not a lot of faith like that today. I, I don't know. Um, why that is, uh, sometimes I think when Jesus was talking about uh, to his disciples, he said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I, I wonder sometimes if the, what appears to be decreasing amount of faith uh, is, is a, uh, a fulfillment of some prophecy of Christ. I don't know. I do know this, that even though there's not a lot of it today, there's a lot of it in Hebrews 11 You want to see good examples of what faith really is? Let's take a look at it. By faith, verse 7. Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Noah was warned by God. God told him, Noah, I'm going to flood the earth. I'm going to send rain for 40 days and 40 nights, and I want you to build an ark. Make it really, really big. You want to see how big it is? Go to Wilmore, Kentucky. I haven't been there yet. I'm going to get there. We're, we're going to, Jenny and I, we're going to get there. And, and he said, build it this big, and, and you take uh, uh, your family and get on there, and two of every species of animal and bring them on there, and, and then I will send the flood. A hundred years later, building That ark, Noah got on the boat with his family. All those animals, miraculously, two by two, went on the boat. He shut the door, and the floods came. Just like God said. A hundred years of sunny days, rarely a cloud in the sky. And the floods came. By faith, mankind and all the species of animals were spared. That's Noah. What about Abraham? Matter of fact, there's quite a bit in Hebrews 11 about Abraham. Abraham's the friend of God, he is the man of faith. It says in verse 8 that by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where. He was going. He went out not knowing where he was going. He left one place and took off and didn't even know where he was going to go, what kind of people there were there, what what the land was like, nothing. But God had called him and he left. Now just imagine that God speaks to you. And he says, I want you to quit your job. I want you to put your house up for sale. I want you to take all your possessions and put them in a U-Haul truck. And then I want you to go somewhere. What was your first question? Besides, Lord, are you crazy? <laughs> What's the, where, where am I going? I'm not going to tell you until you need to know. Well, what am I going to do when I get there? I'm not going to tell you a- until you need to know. Well, <laughs> wh- why, why are you asking me to quit my job? I've got something better for you. Trust me. And so you quit your job, you sell your house, you pack up all your things, you put them in the U-Haul truck, and you go down the driveway, and you don't even know if you're going to turn left or right. You just hope that you're going to be able to get wherever he tells you to go, but you don't know where it is, you don't know what you're going to do. That's what Abraham had to do. That's faith, isn't it? That's real Abraham was a man of faith. God said to him, Abraham, I'm going to make you a father in many nations. But Abraham and Sarah could not have children, and they were too old to have children. But God told them they'd have a son. And from that son, a whole nation would come. And Abraham believed God. And it says in Genesis 17 that God reckoned it to him as righteousness. That man was righteous because of faith. And then he proved his faith. Look at verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, "In Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. God was saying, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, who I told you already was going to be the father of the next group, and that was going to be a whole generation of people, and I want you to take him up to this mountain and offer him, that means take his life and offer him up as a burnt offering, and Abraham did it. Believing that even if he had to go through with it, God would raise him up from the dead. That's faith. That's faith. Faith doesn't look at the obstacles. It only looks at the promises of God. You remember when Peter started to sink after he got out of the boat and Jesus was standing on the water, when did he start to sink? When he got his eyes off what? Off Christ and onto the situation. Every time I've ever wrestled with faith, it's when I started looking at my circumstances and the situations and the impossibilities of all the things that, that were there. And, and, boy, the doubts come flooding in and you start to weaken and then I open the word and I pray and I seek after God. And I, you know what? That's where your faith will come from. From him. How about Moses? Verse 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith... They passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through the dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. God appeared to Moses at the burning bush on Mount Sinai, uh, there in the desert. And he said to him, I want you to go to Egypt and lead the people out. And you will come back to this very same mountain and you'll worship here. That's God's promise. So Moses goes back and it's not easy and they go through all those ten plagues and then he leads the people out and they finally get to this place where they're at the shore of the Red Sea. There's no way to go forward and the chariots of Egypt are coming after them and the people are saying, you brought us out here to die. And Moses says, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. For the Egyptians who you see today, you will no longer see. And the pillar of cloud moved behind them between the chariots and the people. And God threw, blew an east wind and he separated the waters. They walled up like jello. And the d- ground dried up. And two million Israelites with all of their goats and their sheep crossed through on dry ground. And when they got to the other side, the pillar moved over to the other side. And then the Egyptians saw the channel and thought, we can go after them. And they went in there, and God relaxed his hand, and they all drowned. That's faith. Impossibilities all around, but God had made a promise. You're going to come back to this mountain with all of those people, and you're going to worship here. So guess what? He may not know how that was going to happen. He just knew it would. And so by faith, he pressed on. Moses believed God. He allowed God to work. He didn't try to figure it out on his own. He just simply said, you know what? The God who does all these miracles can figure this out himself. All I need to do is obey him. He will take care of it. That's faith. Oh, the rest of this chapter, man, look at verse 30. We're just going to read this. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Those walls were 12 feet thick. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground, all those having gained approval through their faith. Just just think of it, believers. If you start from Genesis and read on, you know what you find? You find a record of people who had faith in God and a record of those who did not. The Lord loves faith. How's your faith doing? How's your faith doing? So, oh, Pastor, I need more of it. Of course you do. But how, how are you doing? Remember, you've got to pursue it. You've got to fight for it. If you want to grow in faith, then you've got to exercise it. And I'll just give you three, three simple things. They've stayed me well, and they will do the same for you. Number one, the next time you have an opportunity, and you'll have one where you can either trust God for something that's real uncomfortable or you're really not sure about or or, or whatever, and everything inside of you is telling you to pull back, you step forward. Just take that step of faith. Secondly, start praying for things that only God can do. You know, we, we pray for so many things, but most of them are things that will probably happen anyway. Matter of fact, we feel safer when we do that, you know. I don't need to, to really put uh, my belief and my faith on the test and the chopping block, so to speak. Uh, I can just go ahead and pray for this. And it's probably going to happen. Start praying for the things that only God can do. There are things you want to see. Pray for Things that, hey, you know what? That guy's never going to turn to Jesus. That person's never, that marriage is hopeless. That, that, Pray. God can do it. He may not do it tomorrow. It might be a long time from now. It might not be His will. Be careful about that, to pray in the will of God. But you know the will of God if you read the Word of God. So it's real simple. And then start asking Him for big things. And you know what? When He does those big things, your faith gets stronger. When you stepped out and God has been there for you, you get stronger in faith. And then read the Word of God. Just read it every day. Spend time in it. He promises in Romans that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The more we study and read the scriptures, the more convinced we'll be that God is real, that his promises are true, and we can stand upon them. And as we do that, then he comes through and we can stand a little stronger and we begin to become the woman, uh, the man of God that he wants Because we have faith in him. How's your faith? Pray with me. Lord, we all probably could say it's not what it could be. It's not what it should be. But you love it when we step out in faith. When we believe you, even especially when we have doubts. Uh, Lord, help us to doubt our doubts. Help us to, to put our faith in you. Open our eyes daily. Lord, when those tests come, may we like Abraham, who probably couldn't figure out why in the world is the one person uh, who, through whom the, all, this promise of the nation was going to come, that he would ask him to take him up to the mountain and kill him and offer him as a sacrifice. That makes no sense. Lord, a lot of times you don't make any sense at all. But you're just testing us to show us that what to us makes no sense to you makes perfect sense because you are a God who never fails who never uh, lies who never makes mistakes help us to trust you teach us to exercise what faith you've already allowed us to have so that it would become stronger because then we'll please you Lord then we'll do what we were created for is to give you glory and praise and, and please you and that will also bless us. Thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.